Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The moon shines bright over the rippling ocean. For a time, the night is silent and the seas are relatively calm. But then, from out of the darkness comes the sound of creaking boards and the groan of metal. This is soon followed by the looming black shape of a massive ship emerging through the mist. As the ship draws closer to your own vessel, it soon becomes apparent that the ship is sailing through the night with no one living on board. This isn't the first time such a thing has ever happened in history. I'm not even referring to such legendary phantom ships as the Flying Dutchman. But rather the very real occasions where sailors have discovered completely empty ships adrift at sea. The most famous of which is undoubtedly the Mary Celeste, which I covered on a previous episode. But it's not the only such story in history. And some of these tales are even more mysterious and terrifying. Back in 2014, a chilling internet rumor began going around about a derelict Yugoslavian cruise ship called the MV Lyubov Orlova. The Orlova was originally built to withstand frigid icy waters and was used for Antarctic cruises. Before it was taken out of service in 2010, the owners got in some financial hot water and as a result, the more than 50 crew members didn't get paid for over five months. In order to cover the more than a quarter million dollars in debts, the ship was impounded and sold for salvage. For two years, the ship was docked in St. John's in Newfoundland. Then in February of 2012, the ship was pulled out of the harbor by a tugboat headed for the Dominican Republic. But the tow line broke early on during the trip, leaving the ship to drift aimlessly out to sea. But although the ship was considered derelict, a rumor began spreading that it wasn't exactly empty. A story began being passed around on the internet that the ship was full of cannibalistic rats that had multiplied over the years to the tens of thousands. Having consumed every morsel of food left on board the vessel, that left the rats with the only food source remaining, each other. The most disturbing part of the story of all was that the Lyobov Orlova appeared to be drifting back inland, directly toward County Kerry in Ireland. Now, if you don't recall hearing the news stories about an army of cannibalistic rats overtaking the Emerald Isle, that's because that portion of the story doesn't appear to be the least bit true. It seems to have been sparked after a salvager made some wild speculation about the vessel to a reporter from the British tabloid The Sun. Although several searches for the adrift vessel were made, the ship was never located, and most experts today presume it sank. But just because the story of the ship full of cannibal rats isn't real, that doesn't mean there haven't been some very real ghost ships discovered in the ocean. And I'm here to share with you some of the strangest stories. I'm Nate Hale, 
still fully convinced Kate Winslet could have made room for Leo up in that door. And this is The Conspirators. Back in 1914, a 230-foot, 1,322-ton cargo steamer named the Anger Manelfin first set sail on its regular trade route between Hamburg and Sweden. But after World War I, ownership of the vessel passed to the United Kingdom as part of the reparations Germany had to pay for shipping losses. After that, the ship was acquired by the Hudson's Bay Company in 1921 and was renamed the SS Bechimo. She was then based in Ardosan, Scotland, where she completed nine successful voyages along the northern coast of Canada, delivering fuel, food, and supplies for animal pelts at Inuit trading posts. But that route was treacherous. For centuries, many sailors died hoping to shorten their shipping routes by navigating their way through the so-called Northwest Passage. The shortcut leading from the Atlantic to the Pacific Oceans along the northern coast of North America. But for many sailors, that route was considered nearly untraversable due to the area's fierce storms, bitter cold, and deadly sea ice. Countless lives have been lost in doomed ships that were either sunk or hopelessly trapped in the ice, trying to navigate the Northwest Passage. On October 1st, 1931, the SS Bechimo was on one of its routine voyages, with its hold full of a large shipment of expensive furs. But along the way, the ship ran into a massive storm and the voyage became increasingly hazardous as the ocean filled with ice. The closest city was Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost city in the United States. But the fierce winds and blowing snow made it practically impossible for the ship to reach port. Instead, Captain Sidney Cornwell and his crew decided to hunker down inside the now-trapped ship and wait for the ice to break up. But by October 15th, the ship was completely stuck in the thick ice. Eventually, they would be forced to airlift 15 of the crew members to safety. But Captain Cornwell wasn't ready to completely abandon ship yet. He and 14 other crew members decided to build a temporary wooden shelter on the ice near the stranded ship and wait it out through the terrible weather. This went on for several weeks. By November 24th, the men were caught in a blizzard so fierce they could no longer see the Bechimo. By the following morning, they were all shocked to realize why this was. Sometime in the night, the ship had vanished. The ice flows throughout the Arctic Oceans can be so powerful they can crush a ship's hull. Captain Cornwell and his men presumed this is what had happened to the Bechimo causing it to sink during the storm. But less than a week later, an Inupiat hunter told the captain he had spotted the Bechimo floating in the icy waters near Skull Cliff, just south of Barrow. The Bechimo must have broken free during the storm and gone adrift. The location the hunter spotted the vessel was about 50 miles away from the last place the crew had abandoned ship. Captain Cornwell and his men proceeded to track the ship down, and they were surprised to find the Bechimo still afloat. Although it had sustained some severe damage, the captain felt certain the ship wouldn't remain seaworthy for much longer. 
So he and his men salvaged many of the most expensive furs, and he and his remaining crew were airlifted to safety. The strange thing, though, is the Beechmo didn't sink as the captain expected. Over the years that followed, several residents of the area kept spotting the Beechmo, still adrift through the Arctic waters, completely intact. Over time, the Beechmo would come to be known as the Ghost Ship of the Arctic. In March of 1932, a fur trapper on his way back to Nome on a dog sled managed to board the Beechmo while it was trapped in the Beaufort Sea Ice. Then in March of the following year, some Inuit people actually took shelter in the Beechmo for a week during harsh weather. In November of 1939, another ship got close enough to the Beechmo for the crew to board the abandoned vessel. However, due to the approaching ice flows and stormy weather, the captain didn't have time to tow the ship back to port. Such sightings of the Beechmo would continue for decades. In many instances, people were able to board the vessel. Stories began to spread about the abandoned ship and, in particular, how the ship's cargo hold still contained a fortune in valuable furs. And yet, no one was ever able to remain on the ship long enough to salvage the ship or its expensive cargo. The last time the Beechmo was spotted was in 1969 in the Chukchi Sea between Icy Cape and Barrow, Alaska. Once again, the ship was trapped in an ice pack. After a few more years, many people came to believe the so-called ghost ship of the Arctic finally sank in the ocean's depths. But the fact is, no one really knows for sure. In 2006, a full 75 years after the ship was first abandoned, the Alaskan government began a formal search for the elusive vessel. However, the searchers didn't find the Beechmo. But just because the ship hadn't been spotted doesn't necessarily mean the ship sank either. It's possible the Beechmo is still out there somewhere, perhaps trapped in the Arctic ice, just waiting to be found. One of the most disturbing legends of a ghost ship dates back to the June of 1947, when several ships sailing through the Straits of Malacca between Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore began picking up a desperate SOS message. The message read, We float. All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in the chart room and bridge. There was a brief pause, then this was followed by another line that only compounded the already tragic message. This line said, Possibly whole crew dead. Then came another pause before the last two words came chillingly through. It simply said, I die. According to the most popular version of the legend, some British and Dutch listening posts throughout the region were able to triangulate the location of the ship that sent the eerie distress call. That ship was a Dutch freighter named the SS Orang Madan. An American merchant ship, the Silver Star, was dispatched to the Orang Madan's coordinates. Within a few hours, the Silver Star managed to locate the stricken vessel which appeared to show no signs of life as they approached. All efforts to radio the Orang Madan were met with silence. This forced the captain of the Silver Star to form a search party. From the moment the search party set foot on the Orang Madan, the men felt something odd. Even though thermometers were reading temperatures in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit, the crew of the Silver Star felt a peculiar chill in the air as they searched the vessel. The rescue team headed toward the bridge first. They heard music playing, 
which gave them some hope that someone was still alive on board. But this wasn't the case. Inside the bridge, they found several members of the crew, including the captain, all still seated at their stations. Their eyes were wide open and their expressions were frozen in terror. The communications officer, who was presumably the person who had sent the distress call, was still seated at his post as well. His hands were frozen on the radio controls, and his teeth were bared in a savage, rictus grin. As the search team continued looking deeper inside the vessel, they found more and more bodies strewn everywhere. Many of these corpses were contorted, their arms still stretched out as if they were fighting off an invisible enemy. Even the ship's dog hadn't been spared. The dog was found frozen in place like the others, its teeth drawn back in mid-snarl. Despite the horrific conditions each of the corpses of the Orang Madan's crew were in, there were no visible signs of injuries to any of these men. They were just dead. Although the Silver Star's crew did notice that many of the bodies appeared to be decaying quicker than they should be. After the search party returned to the Silver Star to report to the captain what they had found, some members of the crew began to notice that smoke had begun billowing from the below decks on the Orang Medan. It soon became apparent the ship was on fire. The captain of the Silver Star ordered that they cut the tow ropes attached to the other ship. Within seconds, a series of explosions ripped through the Orang Medan, the last of which was powerful enough to lift the boat right out of the water. Immediately after, the Orang Medan sank to a watery grave beneath the ocean. The story of the Orang Medan is one of the most enduring and most disturbing legends of a fabled ghost ship to have ever been encountered. But is any of it true? Like the story of the cannibal rats I mentioned earlier, the evidence is rather scarce to support the story. Perhaps the most telling piece of evidence that the tale isn't real is the simple fact that no such ship with the name the Orang Medan was ever registered with Lloyd's Shipping, which kept records of all ships on the ocean. At the same time, there are a couple of possible explanations for this as well. For one, it's certainly possible the actual name of the ship has been changed or misquoted in subsequent tellings of the story. Another possibility that directly relates to some of the theories about what might have happened to the Orang Medan's crew also suggests that the ship's true name might have been changed to hide what it was doing. The name Medan actually refers to a Sumatran island from which the ship may have been registered. The full name Orang Medan translates to Man of Medan, which theories suggest that Perhaps the ship was a Dutch freighter that had been commandeered by Indonesian pirates to ferry illicit cargo, and thus would explain why the name would have changed and why it wouldn't have been documented. Another popular theory goes that the ship may have been carrying chemical weapons on board in some rather shady operations. They might even have been in the employ of a major world government, possibly even the United States. During World War II, it's known that the Nazis had a highly active program to create chemical weapons and other deadly nerve agents. Many of these they shared with other members of the Axis, including Japan. After the war, one of the typical ways in which the Allied governments would dispose of these chemicals was to transport them to the middle of the ocean and dump them overboard. Was it possible then that the Orang Medan might have been transporting some sort of deadly chemical cargo? which somehow sprang a leak, killing everyone on board? 
Some researchers who have studied the case believe this is a distinct possibility. One major problem we face with the story of the Orang Medan is that a lot of the details of the tale shift from telling to telling. Which is also why many other researchers have come to conclude the entire story is made up. In fact, the earliest known reports of the Orang Medan's fate actually predate World War II. Although the most popular version of events first appeared in the Dutch periodical Elsevier's Weekly in January 1948, some published stories can be dated back to as early as 1940. In this version, although the distress call remained similar to what was reported in Elsevier's Weekly, in this earlier telling, the radio operator abandoned her request for medical attention and instead demanded that a warship come to their rescue. A British merchant ship responded, finding a dozen crew members dead on board. Also in this version, there were none of the details but the dead bodies being contorted in terror. The detail that the radio operator requested a warship come to their aid suggests that the cause of death might have been a pirate attack. The idea that some sort of gas or chemical leak might have been the cause of the crew's deaths appears to originate from a 1953 German booklet titled The Death Ship in the South Seas, written by an author named Otto Milky. He suggested that the Orang Medan had actually been carrying an illicit cargo of potassium cyanide and nitroglycerin, and that the ship's crew had a vested interest in keeping their trip a secret. A volatile cargo of nitroglycerin could explain why the ship would have exploded. Potassium cyanide could also have certainly killed the entire crew, but the symptoms of such poisoning wouldn't cause the crew to die in such painfully contorted positions. Some versions of events have even said that there was a lone survivor of the Orang Medan. In some tellings of the story, there was one lifeboat missing from the ship. In this version, a lone survivor was later found on a Pacific island, where he had managed to row to safety. He was able to tell his rescuers that the ship had secretly been hauling deadly chemicals that had mixed together once seawater got into the ship's hold, creating a deadly gas cloud. The man supposedly died soon after giving his confession from being exposed to the deadly chemicals. Although the details of the story of the Orang Medan keep changing from telling to telling, one name that appears again and again is that of the first reporter to ever tell the story. An Italian journalist named Silvio Sherley. It appears that Sherley might have been the first person to report the tale to the Associated Press back in 1940. Although about eight years later, Shirley told the story again, this time changing the date to 1947 and adding further details that weren't reported in 1940. Before we continue, let's take a moment to hear this word from this episode's sponsors. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. The problem you run into with a lot of stories of ghost ships is it can sometimes be difficult to determine which stories you should believe. For every tale of a real abandoned ship like the Mary Celeste, there are those like the Orang Medan or the tale of the Lyubov or Lova that don't appear to have a lot of basis in fact. One story of a ghost ship that is absolutely true is that of the MV Joyita. 
This was a 69-foot wooden ship built as a luxury yacht in 1931 by the Wilmington Boat Works in Los Angeles. For the famous Hollywood director Roland West, he named the ship after his wife, Jewel Carmenel. The word Joyita is Spanish for Little Jewel. Throughout the 1930s, Roland West and the ship's subsequent owner, Milton Beacon, mostly took the Joyita out cruising along the western coast of the United States. During the Second World War, the Joyita was pressed into service as a Pacific patrol boat, mostly patrolling the seas around Hawaii. The MV Joyita had been built with an unusual construction that made her practically unsinkable. Although the ship was built of wood with a hull of cedar planking, she also had cork lining added to her holds, which provided added buoyancy. All of which added up to a ship that was practically lighter than the water it sailed on. Over the years, the Joyita suffered some major damage after running aground. She then had some of her components replaced with lower quality materials, including iron piping. But beyond that, the MV Joyita remained largely in good shape following the end of the war. By the 1950s, the ship was being used as a charter fishing vessel. On October 3, 1955, the MV Joyita traveled from Samoa to the Tokelo Islands. The Joyita was carrying a cargo of medical supplies and wooden construction materials. There were 25 people on board, including 16 crew and 9 passengers. During this 270-mile journey, only one of the ship's two engines were running due to some unexpected equipment failure that occurred just before the voyage began. Despite having only one engine, the trip was considered safe since it was a relatively short distance, and weather reports were showing calm conditions. The trip was expected to take no more than 48 hours, but three days later the ship was reported as overdue, and no distress calls had been received. For nearly a week, flying boats from the New Zealand Air Force patrolled the area where the MV Joyita was thought to be traveling, but no sign of the ship was found. They didn't find the lost ship until five weeks later on November 10th. That was when a merchant ship, the Tuvalu, traveling nearly 600 miles to the west, spotted a ship that appeared to be in some trouble. The Tuvalu's captain, Gerald Douglas, sent out several hails, but received no response. Captain Douglas decided to investigate further. He discovered that the MV Joyita was empty, none of the crew were on board, and four tons of the ship's cargo was missing as well. Although the boat had remained buoyant, it was listing to port in the water, and was partially submerged up to her deck rail. The ship had also sustained some other damage as well. The flying bridge had been smashed away and the deckhouse had some additional damage including shattered windows. A canvas awning had been rigged on top of the deckhouse behind the bridge. Although the MV Joyita was supposed to be carrying a dinghy and three life rafts, all three were missing. She did not carry enough life jackets for all 25 people on board. The starboard engine was found to be covered with a pile of mattresses. The ship's port engine clutch had been disassembled, which showed that the ship had been running on only one engine. There was an auxiliary pump that had been rigged in the engine room and mounted on a wooden plank between the main engines, but it had not been connected. The radio on board had been tuned to the international distress signal, but when the radio equipment was inspected further, it was revealed that a cable between the device and the antenna was broken. The cable had been painted over though, so it would have been difficult to notice, 
This meant the ship's radio range had been limited to only about two miles. All the electric clocks on board had stopped at 10.25 and the switches for the cabin and navigation lighting were on. All of which suggested that whatever had occurred happened in the middle of the night. The ship's logbook, sextant, mechanical chronometer, and other pieces of navigation equipment were missing. So too were the firearms the ship's captain, Thomas Dusty Miller, kept on board. One of the ship's passengers was a doctor named Alfred Andy Dennis Parsons, who had been on his way to perform an amputation at the ship's destination in the Tokelo Islands. One particularly ominous clue that was discovered was a doctor's bag that was found on the deck. It contained a stethoscope, a scalpel, and several lengths of blood-stained bandages. There was still fuel in the MV Joyita's tanks. It was estimated that she had traveled approximately 243 miles before the ship was abandoned. They had probably been within 50 miles of Tokelau. Although the Joyita's bilges and lower decks were flooded, the hull remained sound. After the boat was towed into harbor, investigators heard the sound of running water entering the vessel. It was discovered that a pipe in the engine's cooling system had corroded, allowing water into the bilges. This would have been one of the pipes that had been replaced with cheaper materials during the war. It was likely that by the time the crew became aware of this flooding, the water would have already been above the engine room floorboards, making it nearly impossible to find the leak. On top of that, the bilge pumps were clogged with debris, which would have made it even more difficult to pump any water back out. At the same time, though, despite the flooding below deck, the idea that the passengers and crew would have abandoned ship doesn't make much sense. The three lifeboats on board were far less seaworthy than the Joyita, and the ship's cork-lined hull made it practically unsinkable, something the captain and his first mate would have been well aware of. And yet despite this, it appears that for some unknown reason, the 25 people on board the MV Joyita decided to abandon ship in the middle of the night. But why they would have done so remains a mystery. One theory suggests that Captain Miller may have become injured or even killed early on, in which case the other crew members may have panicked and called for everyone to abandon ship. The official inquiry would find Captain Miller negligent for taking the Joyita out on such a journey with the ship, in need of repair, and in particular having only one functioning engine. A friend of Captain Miller's, Captain S.B. Brown, told investigators there had been bad blood between the captain and his first mate, Chuck Simpson. Captain Brown speculated that perhaps the two men had come to blows, and one or both of them had fallen overboard or sustained some serious injuries. This would have left the ship without any experienced seamen to guide the vessel to its destination. The Fiji Times and Herald quoted an unnamed, impeccable source who said the Joyita had sailed near a fleet of Japanese fishing boats and that they had witnessed something they weren't supposed to. What this mysterious event was, though, remains unclear. London's Daily Telegraph suggested there may have been some still active Japanese forces from World War II patrolling the area, and that they may have raided the Joyita in the night. Some investigators initially thought this theory might be plausible based on some knives that were found on board labeled Made in Japan, but those knives were later found to have been old and broken and made back during the early 1940s making the Japanese invasion theory seem less likely. One other theory that has been floated was that the MV Joyita's crew might have been kidnapped by a Soviet submarine, although no records from the Cold War about such an encounter have ever been revealed. Likewise, other investigators have suggested that the boat may have been rammed and overtaken by modern-day sea pirates, 
who killed the 25 people on board and stole their cargo. Another theory suggests that Captain Miller may have been attempting to commit insurance fraud. It was known the captain had some serious financial debts, but the fact that the ship was nearly unsinkable would have made it difficult for Miller to commit such a fraud. In 1962, a subsequent owner of the MV Joyita, Robin Malm, wrote a book titled The Joyita Mystery, in which he hypothesizes that a mutiny occurred on board. Malm believes that the ship's troubles began with the corroded pipe and flooding below deck. The mattresses found covering the starboard engines were an attempt to stem the leak or to protect the ship's electrical switchboard. At the same time as the ship was taking on water, it had also started to sail into heavy swells and worsening weather. According to Malm's theory, because of his debts, Captain Miller would have insisted that the crew press on toward their destination, despite the increasing danger to the passengers on board. However, First Mate Chuck Simpson and possibly some other members of the crew would have balked at this idea and insisted they turn back. This tension soon erupted into a full-blown mutiny, during which Captain Miller became gravely injured, or perhaps even killed. By that point, the Joyita would have been entering harsh weather with 40-mile-per-hour winds and choppy waters. The flooding in the engine room would have caused the ship's one remaining engine to fail, all of which caused Simpson to order everyone to abandon ship, taking the ship's logs and navigational equipment with him. Although this theory does seem to fit many of the clues left behind, it still seems unlikely Simpson would have made such a rash decision considering he should have known how practically unsinkable the Joyita was. In later years, the Joyita was sold to a number of other people, including Robin Malm. This wasn't the end of her string of bad luck, either. In January 1957, the Joyita ran aground while carrying 13 passengers in the Coro Sea. She was repaired, and by the following year, she had begun making regular trade routes between Lakuva and Suva. In November 1959, she ran aground at Vadavalo, near Lakuva. She managed to float off the reef when the high tides came in, but she sustained some hull damage, allowing water into the hold once again. This only became worse when it became apparent the ship's pumps were installed improperly and were actually pumping seawater into the hull instead of back out. By that point, the MV Joyita had gained a reputation as an unlucky ship. She was eventually abandoned by her owners and beached. By the time Robin Mound purchased the ship, she'd been stripped of most of her equipment and was mostly just a hull by then. In 1966, Mound sold the ship to a major J. Castling Cottle who ran a tourist bureau in Lakuva. The Major planned on turning the ship into a museum and tea room, but the plan never came to fruition. Over time, the remaining hulk of the MV Joyita disappeared bit by bit, until there was nothing left. She truly had become a very real ghost ship. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank, Thank you to Dave S., Dave K., and Jordan. You're all incredible. Just a reminder, the patrons of the show get access to all sorts of nifty bonuses, including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes. They're just like the full-length episodes, only fun-sized. Another great way you can help support the show is to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Currently, you can find us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else you get your podcast. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can listen to our entire back catalog of shows. Elsewhere, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and wherever the current state is of Twitter. 
I encourage you to follow us or even send me an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing. I love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll be back next time.